and welcome to the Post Party Project. My name is Amy Heinrich and I am your host. Join me as we chat all things postpartum, celebrating the highs and supporting you through the lows. Everything pregnancy and birth is just such an exciting time, but often chats about postpartum experiences get missed or overlooked because everything's about the baby, which we are also totally here for. But I'm here to hear you and hold you, figuratively speaking, and to listen to your experience. Think of this podcast as your safe space to share, vent, cry, laugh, and know that you're not alone. Now, let's get into it. Hello, lovely people. Welcome back to the Post Party Project. It has been a long while between episodes, so I apologize, but oh my god, we've had so much on. The start of this year has been hectic. We moved house at the start of April, and just being pregnant, I've been quite slow moving moving getting everything set up in my office space has just taken a while and then we didn't have internet for about a month so yeah things have been moving very slowly but I still have well I'm due with this second baby mid-July so I'm still thinking that means I've got about six weeks where I can get some episodes out there and recording these episodes literally lights a fire in my belly like I love it so much I love chatting all things postpartum with the beautiful people that I have on the show and today's episode is so great. I loved chatting with the lovely Amy from Mummerhood Wellbeing. Um, if you don't follow her, make sure you do follow her on Instagram at Mummerhood Wellbeing. Um, if you want to give her a follow and check her out, she does awesome work supporting mothers. She's a holistic nutrition coach and a student naturopath. And in today's episode, she shares her experience with birth and postpartum with her two boys who are 13 months apart. So she speaks a bit about two under two. We also speak about bed sharing and a horrible situation Amy encountered in her years as a police police officer, birth trauma and postnatal anxiety. I'm so thankful for Amy's openness, vulnerability, and honesty with our chat today. And I hope it helps anyone who's experienced a traumatic birth and or postnatal anxiety in their postpartum. I also want to say thank you for everyone who has continued to listen to the podcast while I've taken some time off recording and to support me over on my Instagram account. Um, I've recently changed my name. It's now at Amy Maxwell underscore, but I'm still sharing the same postpartum related content just with a splash of more personal content too. I just thought if I do end up having a little bit of a break after this baby, um, it's probably going to be a bit more personal postpartum content. So I don't know, it just kind of felt right for now, but I'm still podcasting and still sharing postpartum stuff. And yeah, just wanted to give you a little update. Anyway, let's get into today's chat. Awesome. Thanks for joining me today, Amy. I am so excited to get to know a bit about you. We've been chatting on Instagram for quite a while and with everything going on with me, with the house move and being pregnant, it's just like, I just, (laughs) it's been a long time coming this chat. (laughs) Yes, it definitely has. And I'm so grateful to be here with you. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for joining me. So I'd love to know a little bit about yourself, um, what you do for work and who's in your family. So if we haven't met before, my name is Amy. I am a holistic nutrition and health coach. I am also a mum of two beautiful boys, Harry, who's just turned two, and Ollie, who's just turned one. 
Um, and I live with my husband and my boys in Kalgoorlie in the desert in Western Australia. Um, we've been here for a couple of years now. Um, yeah, so my work as a holistic nutrition coach, I work primarily with mums in all stages of motherhood. So mums come to me when they're pregnant or after they've had their baby and even once their babies are starting solids. Um, and we work holistically to find ways to do what you're doing with your food and nutrition even better. So I help mums get more energy, feel better, have more confidence in their food choices uh, and obviously pass those habits on to their babies as well, which is super important. So I love what I do and it's something I'm obviously super passionate about. Mm, and Yeah, I'm so excited to talk to you as well because with my first pregnancy and having Ivy, like when she was a bit younger, I was so passionate about nutrition and health and then her diet was like so great and then I got pregnant and she also hit the, the beige stage of toddlerhood <laughs> but then I was eating beige as well. So I'm like, okay, I need you as a reset <laughs> and then like once this pregnancy is done and I'm feeling better, I'm like hopefully we can all be healthy and I can get some tips <laughs> today <laughs> yes definitely I can't wait to dive into all that with you um and so you you mentioned you're in Kalgoorlie as well for anyone that doesn't know Kalgoorlie is is it six hours out of Perth yeah so it's well without kids it's a six hour drive with the boys it's between nine and ten hours with all the stops so oh we are quite far away from um all our family lives in Perth um so it is it's quite a distance away. Um, having said that, when we had Harry, we lived in Broome, which was even further away. That's about a three-day drive. So we're just grateful that we're closer to Perth now, but it's it's still a long trip with the boys. Yeah. And do you do mainly online consults then or is there quite a lot of work in Kalgoorlie? Yeah, no, I do mainly online consults. Um, even with my Kalgoorlie mums, we tend to do Zoom uh, just because it's really hard wrangling kids and trying to find childcare and a lot of mums feel more comfortable in their own space at home. So, yeah, even my in-town mums, we, we tend to do Zoom consults, which works for everyone. Mm, perfect. So, yeah, I was thinking today we will jump into your experience with pregnancy and birth and postpartum and then we'll do this as a double parter so everyone can come back and then listen to all of the, your juicy knowledge around nutrition and naturopathy as well. Yes. No, I love that. Let's do it. Perfect. So how did you go through your first pregnancy? Did you plan for that to happen when it happened? And yeah, how did you feel? Yeah. So our firstborn was a pandemic baby, like a lot of kids these days are. Um, we'd just gotten married in like March of 2020 and we had planned to go on this big honeymoon and do all this traveling and you know, all these things that young married couples do. And then obviously lockdowns hit and, you know, we actually had to cancel our honeymoon, which, you know, we were devastated about at the time. But in hindsight, like we got our marriage, like we got our wedding and we didn't have to change any of that. It was literally like maybe three days before restrictions hit. So we were so lucky. Uh, so we're just grateful for that really. So we had to cancel all our trip. Um, we had to quick smart get back to Broome because they were locking the Kimberley down. If anyone was in Western Australia remembers what it was like a couple of years ago, um, you couldn't get in or out of the Kimberley because obviously those um, regional uh, remote communities were really susceptible to COVID, uh, you know, the less immunity and lots of health issues there. So I want to protect the communities as much as possible. So, yeah, we, we were stuck in the Kimberley for a while and we we're kind of like, well, we're not going to be able to travel a lot for a while. 
we may as well kind of speed up the timeline and and have kids now. You know, why why put it off? We're not going to be able to do any of the things we wanted to do. Um, at that stage, I'd just been clinically diagnosed with um, endometriosis by my um, gynecologist. Uh, we hadn't done the surgery to confirm it, but she'd gone off my history and my symptoms and everything. And she's like, look, I, I suspect it's endometriosis. Um, so, you know, let's, let's try this. Um, and I got the... Uh, the marina and it just made things so much worse like it was horrendous the cramps were worse the bleeding was worse everything was just horrendous for like eight months I don't know why I kept it in that long um and then I went back to her got it out and she's like oh look you know we'll see how you go the next six months next time I see you you're either going to be pregnant or we're going to be having the surgery um to explore your endo so I was like, okay, cool, no worries. And then fair enough, literally one month later, I was pregnant. I could not believe my luck. And I still hold a lot of guilt around that because I feel so guilty that it was easy for us to fall pregnant that quickly. And I know a lot of my friends have struggled with fertility and gone through IVF and had all these issues and we just didn't, even though I felt like we should have, if that makes sense. Yeah. So it was... um. Yeah, but it was definitely planned. We just didn't expect it to happen that quickly. So we were absolutely stoked. Um, I had hyperemesis up until about 20 weeks, which was just fantastic. If you've ever had it, you'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, it's I couldn't function. I was lying on the couch. I was literally a potato for like the first 20 weeks. And I know a lot of pregnant mums identify with that. Um, but it really, I, I was just a vomiting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was just a vomiting potato for like the first half of my pregnancy. And uh, I felt really bad for my workmates because I was just, my brain was not functioning properly. I was just literally a blob of just nothingness. It was horrible. I felt really bad because my husband didn't know what to do. He didn't know how to help me. Everything I ate, I threw right back up again. Um, if I had a craving, I would generally eat that food and then throw it up again. And it was just, it was really, really bad. Um, it eased up at about 20 weeks, which I'm, I'm grateful for. Um, I was also grateful to have a really good GP obstetrician up there who uh, was able to give me on Dancertron, which definitely settled things down um, it didn't take away the nausea but it just made it bearable so I could carry on with daily life um, but it's really funny she never actually told me I had hyperemesis I had to read it off one of the referrals she gave me um, I can't I think it was a referral to the um, MGP because I went through the midwifery group program there in Broome and I was like reading through the paperwork and I was like oh hyperemesis there is a name for it cool like she never actually told me like this is what you have yeah. so anyway she was lovely anyway like I'm not um disparaging her she was a great doctor did you end up um, having to have any treatment for that like put on fluids or um, I did wind up in ED a couple of times in broom with that and did have to have IV fluids um one time I actually passed out I was on my own at home and luckily I fell onto the couch so it was okay and I was just kind of coming to when my husband got home from work and yeah I went to hospital then and yeah I was dehydrated because I've been throwing up so much and IV fluids and everything um, but it wasn't something that was it, it probably only happened two or three times during that pregnancy um, but yeah it was it was not great. Yeah, that's horrible. And everything that you said just now, I feel like when you go to someone, like just talking about your current line of work, 
I don't know, sometimes you feel like you might be judged if you're not being like 100% healthy through your pregnancy <laughs> and it feels like you can totally relate if anyone, you know what that feels like to not oh. be able to consume those nutrients. <laughs> 100% hyperemesis is just, such, it's a different ball game altogether. And honestly, it really annoys me when so many people are like, oh, have you tried ginger? Like, Yes, I've tried ginger. Like <laughs> it doesn't work. You know, vitamin B6 did nothing for me. Like all these kind of more natural remedies did absolutely nothing. And I've never actually spoken to a woman who's had hyperemesis who's had these natural remedies work for them. Mm-hmm. All of them need the actual medication, um, whether that's um, on Dancitron or something different. Um, I know the, oh, I can't remember the name of it now, but rest of it. Um, which is a normal sleeping tablet, just an over-the-counter one, but it's also known to treat um, hyperemesis as well. So I was taking, you know, half a tablet of that at night so I could sleep um, without throwing up mm-hmm. and then on Dancitron as needed during the day. And I don't think people quite understand the cost of it either. Like on Dancitron is bloody expensive. Like it's like $3 a pill. Yeah. And if I'm taking two or three of those a day, like that's that's adds up and mm. I, I'm not saying it's not worth it because I needed to function, but, you know, it does add up. <laughs> it's just another cost. <laughs> How did you feel mentally then because you have such a health background, um, mm. like consuming all those medications and stuff? Was it hard to get your head around or? Yeah, definitely. I felt um, uh, at the same time, like I felt a bit guilty, but I also knew that it was necessary. Like I couldn't keep going the way I was going. You know, I lost six kilos in the first trimester during my pregnancy with Harry. That was like 10% of my body weight, you know, and they, I think they say something like 5% of your body weight is like a trigger for calling it hyperemesis. So I was, I was up there mm. and, you know, it. I did feel a little bit bad, but I also knew this is what's necessary. This is what my body needs. This is what my baby needs to get through. And that's that's what hyperemesis is. It's about survival um, and doing what you need to do to get through. You're not going to be able to eat a balanced diet. You're not going to be able to eat the rainbow of vegetables that you need to eat. It's just not possible. Like your body can't handle it. Mm-hmm. So as far as I'm concerned, anyone with hyperemesis, you just do what you need to do to survive. Yeah, definitely. How did you go then from 20 weeks on? It started to ease up a bit. Yeah, definitely eased up a bit. I was actually able to kind of go out of the house other than to work and actually enjoy my time a little bit, like go to breakfast out with my husband and, you know, go for walks and, you know, start to enjoy life a little bit more. Um, It did come back from about 34 weeks, um, not as bad, but it was definitely still there. Uh, But I I can't remember. No, I think I, I knocked off work. I've started my maternity leave at about 34 weeks. So it kind of coincided with me finishing work, which was really great timing. Um, but yeah, mentally it was, it was really tough in that, uh, period where I was so sick because in my head, I'm like, well, this is never going to end. This is my life now. I'm not going to be able to make it through to nine months. I'm not going to be able to keep my baby safe. You know, I had all these negative, uh, thoughts going on in my head and it was really demoralizing. Uh, but I'm really grateful that my husband was so supportive. Um, he's supportive in everything I do, but especially during pregnancy and when giving birth to the kids, he, you know, kept me grounded and he's like, no, it's okay. We can do this one day at a time. Let's just focus on getting through today and then we can get through tomorrow. And he's like, I'm right here, whatever you need, you know, and that it really did make me feel better. And it kind of stopped me from spiraling more than I was. So it, um, it was definitely tough, but 
yeah, I'm just grateful it started. To ease up about halfway through. Yeah. How is um, baby's growth the whole way? Is it something that you have to worry about with HG or is usually babies are thriving? Um, it's it's so dependent on the woman. For me personally, babe was bang on average the entire way through the pregnancy. So while I was suffering, babe was doing perfectly fine. So I'm grateful for that because I know that there can be um, issues associated with hyperemesis in terms of baby's growth. Uh, but, yeah, in my case, he was totally fine. Oh, that's good. Um, so then coming towards the end, uh, did you have any other kind of issues pop up besides the nausea again? Or No, I was actually really lucky in that I didn't develop any other issues other than the normal you know feeling like a whale and the constipation towards the end and you know just feeling really over it um but in terms of conditions no I was I was pretty much good to go yeah so then what did you did you have any birth preferences or a birth plan or did you prepare for that throughout pregnancy yeah so we had a um an online doula because there are no well there was one doula in Broome but I didn't you know how you have to get along with a doula and like actually kind of vibe with them? Mm. I didn't vibe with her, um, which is not to say she's not a good doula. I, it just wasn't a good fit for me. Mm. So I found a doula that I did vibe with um, and she was in Perth and offered online consultations. So we worked a little bit with her. We actually met her in Perth on one of our trips down as well. And she gave us some tips and showed us some things. And um, I think it was really important for my husband to learn about these things as well, because obviously I think <clears throat> as pregnant mums, we dive into all of this stuff, um, but our husbands kind of just don't for, well, obviously they're not the ones carrying the baby, so they don't have as much vested interest, um, but it was good to, you know, show him my preferences and, you know, the reasonings behind why I wanted certain things to happen during the birth. And he was on board with everything, which was great, but that education was so important. We also did the Hypnobirthing Australia online course, um, which was really, again, it was really educational and really helpful. Um, I'll obviously talk a bit about the actual birth in a minute. Um, but, yeah, it was we, we did as much preparation as we could, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So I had, I had birth preferences and I had them printed out and I gave them to my midwife and <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> things didn't go according to plan but they oh. never do <laughs> yeah <laughs> I think it's good just to know like all the things that can happen as well like the more you educate yourself at least then you're prepared for any situation <laughs> exactly right and that's all it is it's about knowing your options and knowing the risks and benefits of each one and knowing that you have the knowledge to make those decisions in the moment if you need to yeah so um when did you go into labor so I went into labor, it was about two days before my, I say due date, I'm doing like bunny ears in quotation marks because it's really just a guest date, isn't it? Um, so I went into labor at about 2am and my poor husband was on night shift. So I'm like messaging him and I'm like, I think it's starting, <laughs> obviously never been through birth before. I wasn't hundred percent sure, but the contractions were coming fairly regularly, like every five to 10 minutes. And I was like, uh, I think it's happening. So he messaged me and he's like, do you want me to come home? And I was like, you know what? Yeah, I could use some company. It's two in the morning, like come home. So he knocked off work and luckily in Broome, everything's two minutes away. So he was home within five minutes and yeah, we just kind of chilled out and um, just rode the waves and relaxed. And he set up the uh, our bedroom with all the fairy lights and everything that I wanted. So it's really, really cozy and 
which probably wasn't what I needed in Broome because it's hot as balls and <laughs> like all year round. Um, but it was it was a really nice kind of cozy vibe. Um, I was really craving carbs. My body was just like, give me all the energy. So <laughs> hubby cooked up literally like a whole box of hash browns, oh, and, like a whole, a whole bag of chips. And we oh. literally just sat in bed <laughs> yeah. smashing hash browns and chips. Because like, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> were, so um, were you planning to birth at home then? I didn't ask. Or were you going to go to the I, I would have loved to have birthed at home. That was something we looked into. Um, but I didn't feel comfortable doing a home birth without a midwife. And obviously you need a private midwife for that and Broom doesn't have any. Um, okay. It would have we would have had to fly somewhat up from Perth, which is just astronomically expensive, mm. uh, and it unfortunately wasn't in our budget. And it's something that really annoys me because that's another thing that regional mums get left behind with. We don't have the options that they have in the city, and you know it's really disheartening because lots of mums I spoke to, even well in Broome and Kalgoorlie, would have loved a home birth with the support support of a private midwife, but there is just no services for that here. You mm. know, so the plan. And the, the rough plan was to labour at home for as long as possible and then call my midwife, which I had the on-call number for them so I could call them any time of day or night and then um, go into the hospital when we felt ready. Um, but, yeah, the plan was to try and stay at home as long as possible, um, Yeah, which, which we did. Um, I ended up jumping in the shower for a while and kind of sitting on the chair in there and, as most mums will say, you know, the water definitely helped and just calmed me down and took the the edge off. Um, it's really funny because we had this big double shower in Broome, which was so great. It was perfect. Um, so I'm sitting in there. The doors to the shower is open. My husband's sitting on the floor outside and our dog was sitting next to him as well. And I've got this photo somewhere on my phone that I took of just my husband and my dog sitting on the floor of the bathroom watching me labor. Like it was such a cool moment. Um, just supporting me, just like, you know, telling me I could do it, giving me all the good mantras and all good affirmations and, you know, trying to get those juicy birthing hormones going. Um, and then it got to about 24 hours afterwards. So about 2am the next day on the Friday and contractions were probably about two to three minutes apart. So quite mm. close and I called the midwife and the midwife's like, yep, no worries, come on in. We'll have the suite ready for you. You can come straight in. So no worries, jumped in the car and it was the drive, it was only a two-minute drive, which I'm grateful for, but dear Lord, it was agony. Like <laughs> every bump, every time we turned the corner, it was just horrible. My body was like, I'm not okay with this. <laughs> so we got into the birthing suite and it was really good. They'd set it up so like the lights were all low and it was exactly what we wanted. It was great. Um, the midwife that was on was one that I'd never met before, so I was a bit unsure, but Immediately she showed that she was on board with everything and she was there just to support me however I needed. So that was really great. Um, I think I just jumped straight in the bath. I asked her to fill it up straight away and I just jumped in um, and I just sat in there for a couple of hours and I just tried to relax. Um, husband put some uh, hypnobirthing tracks on. So I kind of listened to that. We had like little fake candles going like, and again, my husband took some photos of this, so I do have some, and it it just looks really zen, even though in my mind it was not zen. <laughs> <laughs> um, I tried to do all these different um, 
positions in the bath, you know, like on all fours with one knee up, sitting down, like, and just nothing felt comfortable. It was just, it was really horrible. And I was doing all the breathing techniques, but it was just a lot. And I think because I'd already been in labor for 24 hours by that stage, I was so tired. I hadn't slept, obviously, you know, and when you don't sleep, your pain tolerance lowers. So (laughs) it was just not an ideal combination. So we got into the hospital about 2 a.m. And then I think at about 6 a.m., the midwife, she hadn't offered it to me before, but she offered it to me this time. And she said, look, do you want me to do an exam and see how far you are? And I'd had it in my birth preferences that I didn't want any, but she could see I was kind of struggling. Um, Oh, and I'd already tried the gas at this stage and the gas made me throw up. So (laughs) it was really great. All those chips and hash browns came straight back. (laughs) But at least I had something there to throw up, so it wasn't too bad. But, um, you know, she could see I was at a stage where I was I was struggling. So she offered me um, an exam and I said, look, yeah, okay, let's do it. And so she did it and I saw her face as she finished it and she looked so, I don't know quite the word to describe it, she looked so upset for me and I just knew, <laughs> I knew straight away and I was like, what, what is it? And she's like, you're one centimetre and not a face at all. And I was like, great, I've been labouring for what, how long have I been at that stage? Like 28 hours and nothing to show for it. I was like, are you freaking kidding me? And she basically said that, Bub's head was stuck halfway. So he was like not facing back, not facing forwards, like facing sideways. So my body was trying to turn him, but it basically didn't have enough energy to do it anymore. So I was like, shit. And I just burst into tears. I was so upset and very sleep deprived. (laughs) And I I literally said to the midwife, I was like, let's just get me into theater. Let's cut this baby out. I'm done. I I just had enough. And she's like, she obviously had read my preferences and she's like, no, no, Amy, it's okay. We've got other options we can try. She was so calm. And so she was just, just such a nice presence. And she's like, it's okay. Why don't we try an epidural? And I was like, no, I don't want that. Blah, blah, blah. And she's like, look, it's the best option. It's got to relax you. You'll get a bit of a rest. You might even get to sleep. And, you know, if that doesn't work after a few hours, we can absolutely go and take you into surgery and get baby out that way. But let's just try this way first. And, you know, I was like, oh, I'm in an hour. And my husband's like, I think it's a good idea, Aim. So I was like, okay, fine, let's do it. So I kind of changed my mind and, you know, I was a bit disappointed in the moment because it was in my birth preferences that I didn't want any drugs or an epidural or anything, but you just don't know what's going to happen during birth, do you? Yeah. (laughs) And I was so tired by that stage. So I was like, okay, fine, let's do the epidural. And it took another probably hour for the anaesthetist to come in and do it, um, which was fine. I actually didn't feel much at all. Um, And once I was all set up in the bed and, I relaxed and it was so much easier. Um, You know, they came in and did the ice block test on my legs and, you know, I could feel a lot and they had to actually turn it up a little bit. Um, But all I could feel was pressure. I couldn't feel pain, which was wonderful because I still wanted to feel what was going on. Um, But obviously my body needed that break. So the obstetrician came in and again, I hadn't met this obstetrician. He was just the on-call one, but he was really lovely. And yeah, he's like, okay, look, um, 
you know, I see you're only one centimeter at the moment. We'll give you, say, four hours um, to progress on your own with the epidural in. We'll come back, have a look. If not much has changed, then we'll look at getting you into a C-section because we don't want Bub to go into distress. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll let you go for a few hours and see how you go. So I was really happy with that. I didn't feel like they were rushing me at all. I felt like I was given a say in everything. It was such a positive experience. So by this stage, it was probably about 8.30 in the morning. So I was like, okay, cool. I'll chill out. And even my husband said, he's like, oh, my God, you're um, – He's like, you've just completely changed. He's like, you're so much more happy and relaxed now. And um, so he offered to go down to Macca's and get some breakfast because like, I hadn't eaten. So he went and got me a, a coffee and a bacon and egg McMuffin, um, which I know is very ironic me saying as a nutrition coach, but <laughs> birth is a different ballgame, people. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I smashed that. I actually had a nap for maybe like an hour, um, which I never thought was possible, but there we go. Um, and about came to about one o'clock in the afternoon and I could feel my body pushing on its own. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. Okay, cool. Uh, and kind of when my body did that, I just kind of consciously pushed at the same time. I just kind of went with my body's, what it was doing and kind of helped it along a little bit. And then the midwife came at maybe like 10 past one. She's like, oh, I'm just going to check if that's okay. He's like, yeah, yeah, no worries. So she checked and she's like, oh, there's baby's head. Holy crap. <laughs> she looked at me and she's like, have you been pushing without telling me? I was like, maybe. <laughs> oh, my so God, how far like, his head was out? Like his whole head or just like? No, no, she could just see his oh. head, the top of his head. So she's like, yeah, he's he's coming now. And I was like, oh, cool, awesome. <laughs> so she got the other midwife in. So it was just two midwives and uh, my husband and I. And the main midwife in at that time was like my backup midwife with the MGP. Um, so I don't know if any, if you or your listeners are familiar with MGP, but basically you're assigned a main midwife and a backup midwife. Um, and yeah, Tegan was our backup midwife and she happened to be there that day. Um, my main midwife was on days off because of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they were both super lovely and I've met them before. So we were familiar with them, which was great. And uh, yeah, so it was just the two midwives and my husband and I and, you know, between each contraction because that's when I would push. We were just laughing and joking and having such a wonderful time and then a contraction would come. It would last, you know, 30 to 60 seconds. I'd do my thing. I'd get all the affirmations from them like, yes, Amy, you're doing such a great job. Like, baby's so close. And then as soon as the contraction over was over, like we'd go back to chatting like normal. Like, <laughs> it was just so great. And I think it was a really great environment for Bub to be born into. And, yeah, it was maybe less than 20 minutes pushing and he was born at 1.25 in the afternoon. Mm. And it was great because he got to come straight up onto my chest, just snuggled there for ages. Oh, I can't even remember how long, but it was at least a couple of hours um, before he got all wrapped up and daddy could have a cuddle. And, you know, we did delayed cord clamping. They let us do whatever we want, basically. It was just really great. Mm. Um, I did have a second degree tear which had to be um, stitched up by the doctor, but I didn't have to go into theatre for it. He just came into the room and did it. Um, and again, told me exactly what he was doing the whole time, um, you know, explained everything really well, which I think is just so important. Um, it was actually really funny because as he's stitching 
me up. I'm still throwing up. <laughs> so he's just like, he's still going with the stitching. And then I'm like, I'm about to throw up. And he's like, okay, I'll stop for a sec. I was like, Bleh. and I finished. I'm like, okay, you're good to go again. You keep going. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> so what was making you nauseous? Was it just the whole thing or was it like just any the other whole drugs? Thing. Or, yeah. No, no, it was just, it was just my body's response to labor and to birth. Um, so yeah, I think throughout the probably the 12 hours before he was born I'd probably thrown up like at least a dozen times <laughs> um but yeah even before I had the gas I was throwing up but um the gas definitely made it worse and then yeah it was it was <laughs> oh sorry just cut out for a little bit there no that's okay um yeah I'm not surprised I threw up so much oh, yeah. during birth considering how much I threw up during um pregnancy so it kind of just finish the story nicely. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Um, So how did you feel immediately post-birth? I kind of just looked at him and I'm like, holy shit, I created this. I just birthed this into the world. Like what? It was just mind-blowing. And, yeah, I think I literally just like looked at my husband and I was like, wow, I did this. (laughs) I'm like, I did that. I made this. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. you know, it was just, yeah, just shock and awe and, yeah, just an overwhelm but in a good way. Mm. It was like an overwhelm of like, oh, my God, this little guy, he's mine. <laughs> yeah. Um, how long did you spend in the hospital? Did you spend long? We were home by 8.30 that night. Oh, so, wow. So yeah. you didn't really have a night. You didn't sleep there at all. No, no, yeah. um, which I didn't want to. I don't find hospitals particularly restful places. Mm. Um, I know in Perth, they have the um, the birth centres and stuff that are designed for rest after birth and that kind of thing. But a normal regional public hospital, it, it's not a restful place. There's people yelling, there's people screaming, there's people coming in and out all the time. And um, yeah, I'd made it clear from the start that I, I wanted to go home as soon as possible. And the nurses and uh, the midwives were really, uh, they were totally on board with that. They were like, yep, no worries. You know, we'd like to do a few checks first and obviously make sure that um, Harry had had his checks done and everything. We had to go back a few days later to do the hearing check, but that was fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he passed all these tests and I passed all my tests. And you know, that's the good thing about being regional is that you're never too far from the hospital if you live in a major centre. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we were two minutes away from the hospital. So if anything did go wrong in the first couple of days, we could get straight back there ourselves. Um, you know, and it is often quicker to just drive yourself than it is to wait for an ambulance in regional areas. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we were, we were confident. We knew we could get more rest at home and they were happy for us to go. So, yeah, we were bundled up back at home by 9 o'clock that night, which was so wonderful. Oh, awesome. And so how did you go when you got home? How was your first night and settling in? <laughs> the first night was good, which I know is very common. It kind of gives you that false sense of security, doesn't it, because babe's still so sleepy from the womb. And we foolishly put him to sleep in his bassinet and in his own room because, I, I don't know, we were first-time parents. We didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> like, <And> good night. <laughs> yeah, pretty door. much. Like, good night, little guy. <laughs> and we'd have to go in there to feed him every couple of hours, and which was fine. Um, but, yeah, it, it did not last that long in his own room, in his own bassinet, but no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was foolish of us to think that would work. <laughs> yeah. Um, especially because I was breastfeeding. So, you know, I was I was up a lot having yeah. to feed him and having to get up and out of bed and take him out of bed and then sit in the 
in our rocking chair and feed him and then put him back down. And, you know, it was, it was a lot in those early days. So we very quickly um, changed to safely bed sharing and that worked so much better for all of us. Um, we all got some decent rest. Um, obviously we did it in a safe way um, according to Sid's guidelines, um, you know, and that's, that's something that I had not wanted to do initially. Um, I was very against bed sharing and I'll tell you why. Um, in my previous life, I was a police officer and one of the very first jobs I went to as a young probationer was a baby who had fallen asleep on mum on the couch and fallen between mum and the couch in the middle of the night and had passed away and the baby was only five months old. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it was it was very confronting for little 19-year-old me to see and I did not deal well with it at all. I was a mess of tears at the scene and barely able to do my job. But that's a different story. But ever since then... I had been so adamantly against bed sharing. I was like, nope, this is how babies die. It's so dangerous. Why would anyone do it? I was so against it. And that's just one of the things that, you know, we change our minds on when we become mums because we realise, oh, it's actually not that easy. Um, So, you know, I very quickly educated myself on safe ways to bed share. Um, And, you know, we did have a co-sleep bassinet next to our bed, which we did use some of the time, but he wasn't super happy in it. He wanted to be really, like, he wanted to be next to me, which I can understand. He's a brand new baby. He's just come out of me. Like, of course he wants to be close to his home. Like, it makes so much sense now. Um, and yeah, I, I guess it's just made me more compassionate for mums that do choose or resort to bed sharing because it's, you know, it makes things easier, but there is still a lot of stigma attached to it. Um And even now I'm still working through my feelings on it. And I think if it's done in a safe way, it's absolutely a wonderful way for everyone in the family to get some rest, but it's very easy to fall into habits that are dangerous and put baby's life at risk. So it's something that there needs to be a lot more talk about and a lot more education on because, you know, that it's that stigma that is really putting babies in danger, not the bed sharing itself. Yeah. Because you can never imagine pre-babies or even being pregnant, how tired you're going to be. And I think a lot of women do resort to accidentally falling asleep on chairs or in uncomfortable positions and then that's when it happens. So it's just like um, I don't know if you shared it or someone shared it, like even if you're not planning to bed share, plan to bed share. (laughs) Exactly right. Educate yourself, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Just know how to safely bed share so that if you do need to do it, you're set up for success and to not put baby in danger because, yeah, you you can't predict how bloody tired you're going to be when baby's born and how tired everyone in the house is going to be. Like it's just an exhausting time. I don't need to tell you. <laughs> you know, it's it's such a tiring time. So, you know, it's another one of those periods where you do what you need to do to survive and, you know, sometimes that does mean bringing baby into bed with you and yeah, just doing it in a safe way is so so important. Mm, yeah, definitely. Um yeah, maybe we'll go or Yeah. Do you want to even say some of the things that you can do to make sure it's safe? Yeah. So making sure that um, no one in the house is a smoker. Um, So if your partner is a smoker, they can't bed share with baby. Um, And same with you. If you smoke, it's not recommended to bed share um, at all. So just like cut that out. Um, Keep all pillows and beddings away from baby's face. Um, Try and situate baby kind of in line with your chest as opposed to in line with your head. 
um, and try not to put baby in between you and your partner if your partner is also sleeping in bed. Again, it just increased the risks of one of, you know, your partner rolling onto baby without noticing um, and always put baby on a really firm surface. So no quilts or pillows or anything like that. Just keep baby space really free from anything. Um, obviously no soft toys or anything like that. Make sure your hair's tied up. Don't wear any jewelry. Um, just make sure there's nothing baby can grab or um, get tangled up in anywhere near. Um, and yeah, um, definitely recommend because I'm no baby uh, bed sharing expert definitely check out there's sid's guidelines for it on the red nose website i believe um so yeah take a look there and it's all listed there um and also birth for beth on instagram she's a wealth of knowledge um i've learned so much from her she's a midwife and she's shared some stuff on um safe bed sharing as well so mm. definitely check her out mm. and i think for me because we safely bed shared as well that um i was just so much more i felt like i was just being so close to my baby felt so much better than knowing that she was in a bassinet, even a few metres away, like being that close within ear range of any little noises. Like I needed that for my mental health to know that she was always okay. Oh, absolutely. You know, those first few weeks, those first few months, you know, you're constantly worrying, like, is baby okay? Are they all right? And I feel like I got much more restful sleep when Harry was right next to us as opposed mm -hmm. to in the next room. Um, you know, we did try a few things first that like we tried having his bassinet at the end of our bed, like just in our room, um, obviously in the room across the hall, which that did not work. Mm -hmm. um, and until we actually did bed sharing. Um, and that was that was us for probably the first three months. Yeah, we bed shared with Harry for three months because mm -hmm. um, when he was about three months old, we moved to Kalgoorlie. So just after we moved to our new house, we put him in his own room, in his own cot. And that worked really well. Like he was happy to sleep there from then on. And that worked for us as well because we started, like he started to get to the point where he was way more wakeful in his sleep. He was rolling around. He was hitting me in the face. Like, <laughs> and it got to the point where I was like, okay, this is no longer restful for me. <laughs> so time for you to go, son. <laughs> um, but that worked out really well for us. So, yeah. Um, how did you feel your support network was? Did you put anything into place before coming home or do you think that you needed more? Um, we we had a lot of really good friends up in Broome who would drop food off to us and coffee and treats and they would just leave it at the door and then text us, mm -hmm. um, which was really great. There was no, like they didn't ask to come in or anything like that. Quite a few times I was like, hey, come back, come in and see me. Like I want you to meet Harry and I need to talk to someone who's not my husband. Um, <laughs> so, but again, they were very respectful. They didn't stay very long. Like they could tell when I was getting tired and like, you know, left accordingly. So we were really lucky that way. Um, my in-laws came up when Harry was about three weeks old um, and they stayed, they didn't stay with us actually, they stayed at a, um, a hotel around the corner. Um, they came up at the same time as my best friend. She came up and actually stayed with us for three weeks. Uh, no, stayed with us for about a week, but when Harry was about three weeks old. And she was so wonderful. She would cook for us. She would clean for us. She'd hold Harry while I had a shower. It was mm. so great. And that worked out well because that was about the time my husband had to go back to work. Um, so she was there for that whole time and kind of helped with that transition to taking care of Harry on my own, which was really great. Um, and obviously my in-laws being there as well, they, they actually came over and looked after Harry for a few hours while my friend and I went out for lunch and, you know, I, I know some people would be like, oh, that's a bit early to leave your baby, but it, I needed that. 
you know, and I hadn't seen my best mate in months because she lived in the Southwest and I lived in Broome and it's very far away. So I hadn't seen her in over a year. So it was really great to kind of get that time, refill up my cup. Mm -hmm. And then I went straight back to my baby. (laughs) So I feel like we did definitely had enough support. Um, Even in those early days, um, we had the midwives coming around every day or two to check on Harry doing his checking on his um his weight and his progress and making sure that I was okay checking how our breastfeeding was going um so I feel like we had a great amount of support there um just yeah in general in Broome and that's the good thing about regional communities is that we all we're all generally up there on our own with no family support so we kind of look out for each other a bit more Mm, yeah um how did you feel mentally postpartum with your first um with Harry I actually felt really good I had the you know massive hormone crash a few days after birth which I was not prepared for I was a mess I was crying and angry and like had all these feels I was like what the heck is going on and my midwife was like yeah Amy this is very normal it's okay (laughs) (laughs) I was just not prepared for how intense it would be um which knowing what I know now in that you know that's the biggest hormone dip you'll ever experience in your life like yeah it makes sense that I was feeling all of these feelings so um but yeah mentally I felt really great um obviously it was a bit of an adjustment to mum life like finding this new identity and you know the whole idea of matrescence like that's you know, still a topic I'm exploring myself, you know, the whole becoming a mother. Um, But yeah, mentally, I felt really great. Like physically, I I didn't feel too bad. Like recovery was a a bit tender though there for a couple of weeks because of that tear. Mm -hmm. But otherwise it was generally okay. I just don't think I was fully prepared for the long lasting symptoms of postpartum, you know, Mm -hmm. like the constipation lasted probably over a month, you know, the blocked ducts from breastfeeding, like the ongoing hair loss. Um, I was one of the unlucky ones where my vision actually permanently changed after having babies. Um, and I spoke to the optometrist and they're like, oh, yeah, it's it's actually quite common and something that's not really well known. Mm. It's quite common for women's vision to deteriorate during pregnancy. Um, most of the time it gets better within three months of giving birth, but if it doesn't, that's your new normal. And I was one of the unlucky ones where this is my new normal. Oh, no. <laughs> so, so what does that mean? So, what does that mean for you? Is it it just like- means a higher prescription of glasses. Okay. That's all. Um, it just means, yeah, my my distance vision is not great. I'd like reading road signs from a distance. That kind of thing is it's not ideal. Um, but, yeah, it just means that I need to wear glasses when I need to. So it's it's not like life-changing, but it, it's just a bit of a bummer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, okay, well, let's chat about your second birth. So how, what's the age difference? Did you plan to conceive when you did? How did that come about? Yeah. So my boys are 13 months apart and that surprises a lot of people because obviously it is quite close together. I was only four months postpartum with Harry when I fell pregnant with Ollie and it was planned. Like, I know that's surprising, but it hundred percent was planned. Um, you know, we talked about it and we wanted to, it's going to sound very selfish, but we wanted to have our babies so close together so that we could get it over and done with, like get out of the newborn stage quicker, get out of nappies quicker, like just get our lives back a bit sooner. That sounds really, really selfish, but in our heads it made sense and it still makes sense to us. It was the right choice for us. And, you know, so we started trying and again, we feel pregnant like within like immediately. Wow. Um, so did you, again. Did you get your period back at all or? 
yeah, I got my period back at six weeks with Harry. So that was oh, okay. wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean that it. very sarcastically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks, Mother Nature. I was breastfeeding. I did all the right things. And Mother Nature was like, mm, nah, here's your period back. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I was good to go again. And, um, yeah, we fell pregnant like as soon as we started trying, which, again, we – like it was planned we just didn't expect it to happen that quickly so we're grateful that it did um and yeah now that our babies are so close together we're like yeah we made the right choice here yeah that's good as the, as you get out of that newborn phase and you can start to see the beautifulness in it <laughs> exactly yeah they're starting to get to the age where they're playing together and they're almost on the same nap schedule like another couple of months and I think Ollie will be there so that'll be great and mm-hmm. you know it's we don't have to take it out as much when we leave the house and it's it's already like we're starting to see mm-hmm. the benefits for having them so close together we're starting to get out of that first initial really tough stage they do say that the first year of having two under two is the hardest and I I feel like we're definitely coming out of that now which is so great yeah because how old is Ollie now uh he just turned one a couple of weeks ago okay yeah um how did you make that decision to get pregnant again after your first pregnancy with HG um I honestly wasn't thinking too much about it I know that um some like just because you have HG in a first pregnancy doesn't guarantee you're going to have it in your second. So I guess I just had this like call it naive hope that I wouldn't get it with the second. I was of course wrong, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just kind of have optimistic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, nope, nope, it's not going to happen to me this time. I'll be fine. And yeah, it it did happen, um, but it wasn't as severe as the first time around, which I'm grateful for. It was just constant unending nausea all day, every day. Um, I probably only vomited a handful of times throughout my pregnancy the second time, but it was just the unending nausea. Mm-hmm. Like even the scent of food just, nope, just made me want to throw up. Like it was, yeah, it was, I wouldn't say it was worse than the first time around, but it was bad, but in a different way because mm-hmm. it was just, it never ended. Mm-hmm. So, oh, so you didn't um, have a break at 20 weeks or anything? It was just- no, no, I was nauseous the entire time. It was definitely worse in the first trimester and the first half of the second try. Mm-hmm. Um, after that, it kind of eased off, but it was still there constantly mm-hmm. in the background. So, yeah, it it wasn't great, but I guess I would take that over vomiting my guts up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. It's a hard one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you did you manage to breastfeed for long while being pregnant and sick and, you know, your boobs just yes, so sore? Yes, so <laughs> I managed to make it to seven months with Harry oh, wow. of, um, exclusively breastfeeding and then my milk just completely dried up. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my body kind of just went, you know what, can only sustain one life here and we're going to keep the baby. So it just cut off my milk supply and I did everything I could to get it back, but it just was not happening. So I probably kept going with it longer than I should have because Harry's weight dropped really significantly, like a kilo he lost in a couple of weeks. Um, So in hindsight, I I should have seen that earlier. But the thing is, he was such a happy baby. He was still feeding from me fine. And he wasn't telling me he was hungry. Mm. So I was like, oh, okay, everything must be fine. And it clearly wasn't. So we put him on formula at seven months and I was more upset about it than Harry was, (laughs) Um, but he took to it really well. And yeah, he's been thriving ever since. And he cut himself off from bottles at 11 months anyway. So he wasn't on it for that long in the grand Mm -hmm. scheme of things, but 
yeah, I was grateful I was able to make it that long. And yeah, in hindsight, looking back, it was pretty much the start of the second trimester, you know, when things start to ramp up in terms of growing baby that my body cut off my milk supply. So it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, did you have any other complications or anything to worry about through your second pregnancy? No, again, I was super lucky. Um, I had towards the end, I had like leg cramps that would wake me up in the middle of the night and um, like mild insomnia, like I would just, I just could not fall asleep, but that's all very common. And it, I wouldn't call them complications. They were just minor inconveniences. <laughs> yeah, can relate. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, so did you have any birth preferences the second time around? Like how were you envisioning this birth to go? Um, I, we didn't do as much planning the second time around, which I think is very common for second babies. Um, I was kind of just in the mindset of, ah, we'll figure it out when we get there, which is not a great game plan, but I also knew how birth could go. And I think I wanted similar things to um, what I wanted the first time around, but I was also more open to the idea of, you know, if it gets to the point where I need an epidural, I'm happy to have that, you know. I was very much more open to interventions should they be required mm. um and this time around there is no mgp in kalgoorlie which is weird because it's a much bigger town than broom was but anyway the health system is a myriad of mystery um we went with a gp obstetrician here um and then obviously the midwives at the hospital we also had a student midwife here and she was amazing um but yeah the the care was a little bit different um i GP obstetrician here is lovely and she's very, very knowledgeable. Like she teaches for the rural clinical school here and she's, you know, one of the best in her field, um, but she is very blunt and very to the point. So, you know, it was a completely different care model than the one we had in Broome. So, um, yeah, again, we we went with what we thought was the best decision at the time because, um, yeah, the only other option was to go with the midwives at the hospital, but there's no consistency in the midwives. It's just whoever's on. So I wanted a little bit more of that consistency of care. So that's why we went with the GPO. Um, but yeah, no, no regrets. I don't think we'd do anything differently. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's navigating the completely different health systems that was a bit tricky for us. Mm. Did you end up getting a doula the second time? No, we didn't the second time around, um, simply because we already had that education, um, in hindsight, a postpartum doula would have been freaking fantastic, but there are none in Kalgoorlie. Uh, <laughs> but, um, no, we, we didn't go with a birthing doula this time. And, again, I don't think there are any birthing doulas in Kalgoorlie, so we would have had to have done remote again. Um, but I don't think it would have offered us anything that we didn't already know. Mm, yeah. Um, how did you go into labour? Um, so it was really tricky um, because he was born in May of last year, so 2022. And we still had some restrictions in the hospitals here. COVID was still very much a thing. It's hard to believe it was only a year ago and it was still so rampant. Mm -hmm. um, and it was obviously really tricky because we had Harry and we we couldn't take him to the hospital when I was going to give birth. That just wasn't, they said no, which understandable. I really wouldn't want him there anyway. Mm -hmm. um, so we were trying to think of, you know, we've got no family here. We had a few friends who were happy to take him for short periods, but then they all got sick with COVID. Mm -hmm. And it was getting closer to my guest date and I was starting to stress. And I'm like, I can't just randomly go into labor because who's going to look after Harry? I'm not going to the hospital to birth on my own. I need my husband there. We need someone to take care of Harry. And I was just stressing so hard. Um, so I, my brother who 
he's a couple of years younger than me and he lives over in Queensland and has for many years. And he'd said probably sometime in my second trimester, he'd said to me, oh, if you need me for anything, just like give me a call and I'll fly over and give you a hand. And I totally thought he was joking. And like mm-hmm. we often have conversations like that that are quite sarcastic. And I was like, oh, yeah, thanks, great, like no worries. Mm-hmm. And I thought, and I was like, what if I could actually get him over? Yeah. So I called him up. And I was like, look, can you do me a favour? If I buy you tickets, can you fly to Kalgoorlie tomorrow? Mm-hmm. And he did. He dropped everything. He called up his work and apparently he'd already told his boss months before that I might need to go to back home to WA sometime in May. And the boss was like, yeah, no worries. That's fine. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, fair enough. He gave his boss like, you know, very little notice, flew over and was in Kalgoorlie within 48 hours. Wow. So So that was two days before your due date? uh, That's probably a week before my due date. Um, So it was just approaching, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but I'd organised with my obstetrician to go in for an elective um, induction mm-hmm. because babies don't come when you want them to mm-hmm. and my brother couldn't take indefinite leave off work. It could only take about a week. So I'm like, I don't want to get him over, sit mm-hmm. here, baby doesn't come and he flies back. Like it defeats the purpose. So I'd spoken to my obstetrician and, um, you know, and she was happy to book me in for an induction Um she said to me, you know, obviously because you're elective, you're doing it for social reasons, not for medical reasons, you know, other inductions will get prioritised before you. So you may get bumped um, a day or two, but she's like, I'll, I'll find a way to make it work for you. She was so lovely and so accommodating and completely understood our situation. So that made things a lot easier. And I was induced the day after my brother got here, which (laughs) worked out (laughs) so well. And the funniest thing was he hadn't even met Harry yet (laughs) because the borders had been shut the whole time. So he hadn't met Harry. He's not one to be around young babies. Like he's a single bloke in his mid-20s. Like he's got no reason to be around babies. He'd never changed a nappy before. But he just, he took to it so well. Um, He was giving Harry his breakfast, going to change his nappy, playing with him, like just instantly I knew that Harry was going to be taken care of. So that just put my mind completely at ease. So I went in for my induction. Uh, I think I got to the hospital about 4 p.m. as per the obstetrician's um, instructions. So got in there, got admitted, blah, 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 went into the um, the suite. And I was lucky because I went in as a private patient. So I had a room to myself, which is great because otherwise I would have had to share with three other people and sharing with some people in Kalgoorlie probably wouldn't be ideal. Um <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I went in and the obstetrician's like, look, um, we'd done a, a um, exam a few days before and I wasn't a face at all. Like nothing was looking ready, basically. Like my bishop score was quite low. Um, but she's like, look, we'll start you off with the gel tonight. I'll put that in. We'll let that process overnight. I'll come in in the morning. Um, and then if everything's good to go, we'll, we'll start you on the Sintosin drip and go from there. And I was like, yeah, that's fine. And at that stage, I still thought I was going to be able to go home that night and chill. And I'd packed my bag in case I hadn't, so I was prepared. But then, yeah, so she put the gel in. She's like, okay, so, you know, you're going to be staying here now. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. No worries. That's fine. (laughs) Um, So she left at maybe like 6 p.m. And I was like, okay, cool. And she did tell me, she's like, there's a small chance you'll go into labour tonight, but it's unlikely. Um, She's like, you might get some like, twinges of pain or contractions but like nothing will be happening um it's just going to kind of ripen things ready for tomorrow I was like yeah cool no worries literally within an hour of having the gel in I was in full-blown labor (laughs) and the and obviously I'd been through it before so like I knew what labor was so the midwife came in 
And I'm like, I'm in labor. She's like, no, you're not. And like straight away, she's like, no, no, this is, you've just had the gel. Like you're not in labor. And I looked at her and I'm like, this is not my first baby. Like I know what labor is. I'm calling my husband and getting him here. She's like, well, I think that's unnecessary, but okay, you do what you have to do. And like, that's just the the care we received from Kalgoorlie Hospital was just polar opposite to broom you know we felt like we were a burden there um they were just trying to get us out like they just didn't care there was zero communication it was very very poor and you'll see that as I tell the story (laughs) (laughs) but yeah so I was in full-blown labor hubby got there very shortly afterwards because I called him like it's happening um so I like stripped off jumped in the shower that helped for a while um and then things started to get closer together. So they were like, okay, let's move you to the birth suite. So I moved to the birth suite and um, we were assigned a midwife for that suite. And she was a right royal B word, like mm-hmm. absolute B word. Straight up started telling me to be quiet, um, started telling me, Shh, you're scaring the other women. And I was just making normal birthing noises, like, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm squeezing a child out of me. It ain't going to be quiet. Like, yeah. She was just, she had no respect. They, like, there was another midwife coming in and they were bitching together about other patients. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, that woman in, in number two, she wants some water. Like just oh bitching God. for no reason. Mm. Um, she kept whinging that her room didn't have the equipment it needs and oh I'm looking for this and I can't bloody find it blah 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 and I'm like I get that's frustrating I'm giving birth here (laughs) shut up like it was just oh there was just a whole host of things going on and anyway so I'm trying to get into like this you know birthing zone (laughs) and um things were progressing and you know we're getting there and um I I asked for an epidural and I asked for it quite early on after getting into the birth suite. And they're like, yeah, yeah, no worries. We'll call the obstetrician. Didn't come for uh, the anesthetist, sorry. The anesthetist didn't come for like two hours. And the whole time, like every time my husband asked about it, she's like, well, I've called him. Like oh we didn't God. get any other, like we didn't get, oh, sorry, he's busy with a C-section. Like, oh, sorry, he's tied up with something else. Like we didn't get any of that. We got, well, I've called him. Oh like this, the, the attitude was horrendous. And, yeah, so, like, I'm still progressing. Eventually the anesthetist comes in, not super competent, manages to screw up my epidural. So he puts it in and he's like, yeah, yeah, it's all done, blah, blah, blah. Um, It hurt a lot more than the first epidural I got. But I understand pain tolerances can be different during birth. So I was like, okay, I'll give him benefit of the doubt. It did not work. Like, Mm. I had zero effect from it. They came and did the ice block test. Like, I was like, yeah, I can feel all of that. Mm. And they're like, oh, well you shouldn't be able to feel it now. And I was like, I know, that's why I'm telling you it's not worked. Like they just were not listening to me at all. And I said, I'm like, get the anesthetist back. And the woman wife was like, oh, we'll just give it a bit more time. I was like, no, it's been half an hour. It should have worked by now if it was going to work. It's not. Get him back. And she was just, again, wouldn't listen. And it took like another two hours for the anesthetist to come. And by the time he came in, I was I was giving birth oh. and he literally came in and he's like, I'm here. And my husband looked at him and went, it's a bit fucking late now, champ. I told him to leave and he did. He, like scampered like a little mouse out of the room. But, um, yeah, it was just like, come on, man. And, 
yeah, again, like we weren't communi- like we weren't given any communication about like, oh, sorry, he's tied up with this, like mm. nothing. It was just so bad. Um, but, yeah, anyway, towards the end of my labour, I went into like another dimension. Like that's that's the only way I can explain it. You know, before that I was like, I can't do this. This hurts so much. Like, I was like yelling and then apparently well, I don't remember much of it because birth, <laughs> but I just went to a different plane and I was so zen and my voice changed and I just became like this birthing goddess apparently. Mm-hmm. And I was just sitting there and I'm like, I can do this. I'm birthing my baby. And I, I was just like completely blissed out, had my eyes shut the entire time. And, yeah, my husband was just standing there going, what the hell is going on? <laughs> um, but, you know, I'd, I'd, again, like I tried multiple positions. Like I tried getting on all fours. I tried off the bed standing. Like nothing felt as comfortable as laying on my back. Mm. So I know they say that like that's the worst position to birth in, but that's what felt most comfortable for me with both births. So that's what I did. And I had an epidural that hadn't worked anyway, so it didn't matter this time. Mm. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I the obstetrician and the student midwife came in right at the end of labour, so maybe half an hour before he was born. And, you know, the midwife gave me a couple of tips that actually got him out quicker, which was great. I was meant a little bit less pushing. And um, he came out perfectly fine at, like, 2.49 in the morning, I think. And he was perfect, like came straight up onto my chest, um, no issues at all. I had no tears or anything this time, so like mm. perfect, mm-hmm. um, no worries. Like he sat on my chest for probably an hour and a half or so mm-hmm. and then I got up to go and have a shower because, you know, those post-birth showers are fantastic. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I got up, I had the world's worst migraine, like absolutely horrendous. And I've experienced migraines in my life, so like I know what they're like. And this was horrendous. And I said my student midwife was still there, but the main midwife wasn't. She'd bugged off somewhere, I think, because she knew I didn't like her. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the student midwife was like, are you okay, Amy? And I was like, no, I've got a really bad headache. Like this is really bad. She's like, okay, no worries. I'll, I'll kind of, you know, sort it. So she left and I was in the shower sitting on a chair just enjoying the water but being like, oh, this is really bad. Like I shouldn't be feeling like this. I know this is not right. Mm -hmm. And anyway, the main midwife came in and she looked at me and she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, clearly having a shower. Like, (laughs) Is this a trick question? And then she's like, I've been told you have a headache. And I was like, Mm -hmm. yes, I do. She's like, why didn't you tell anyone? Rah, 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 and starts having to go at me. What? And I'm like, I did tell someone. I told the student midwife. Otherwise, how would you have known? Like, what? what? And, yeah, she basically like, had a go at me and then left again. I had zero help to get out of the shower. I was then made to push Ollie in the bassinet all the way down the hall back to my room from the birth suite. Like she didn't help me at all. She just stood next to me. I'm and like, you just you said you have a headache. Like- and I just said I had a headache. I could barely, like it was a headache with photophobia as well. So I could barely open my eyes without crying because the light just made it so much worse. And can't that be and- symptoms of preeclampsia and help syndrome as well post-birth? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So I'm like, no one seemed to be taking this seriously. Mm. Anyway, I got back to my suite, the like maternity room. So I'm in there with Ollie and luckily he was a super chilled out babe. So as long as I was holding him, he was happy. And I, he was still feeding and everything, which was um, 
which was fine. And I'm grateful to have had that previous breastfeeding knowledge. Um, So I already knew how to feed him with my eyes closed, literally, because I couldn't open my eyes. Even going to the bathroom made me cry. Like it was just horrible. And the midwife came in and she's like, oh, look, this is um, this is a common occurrence post-epidural. And I was like, oh, I was never told of this. I was never told this was a, a potential um, side effect, but okay. And she's like, um, our first treatment for it is um, to give you caffeine. Um, so really? <laughs> here's some no-dose pills and here's some coffee. Literally, a woman who had just given birth, they gave me no-dose and coffee. I was like, cool. <laughs> Thanks, guys. That's what you want to give a mum who's just given birth to her second kid. No dose. It sounds like you've given birth in a back shed or something with this. Oh, my God. That's what it felt like, honestly. Um, Apparently, that is a legit, that is the legit line (laughs) of treatment for this, though. Um, Never heard of that before. Yeah. um, I think the caffeine acts as a vasodilator, so it, like, um, widens the blood vessels, takes the pressure off and tries to relieve that headache. Um, but it did not work whatsoever. And they had told me, you know, if it's going to work, it'll work quickly. And it didn't. So I said that and they're like, okay, cool. So if it doesn't work, um, we have to get you into theatre to do a procedure called a blood patch. It's a very minor procedure. Um, but basically what they do is they take blood out of your arm and then insert it into the back. So what had happened is basically in that botched epidural, instead of putting the medication into my spine, he put a great big air bubble and that's what was causing the massive migraine. Um, So there was no, from what I was told, like it's not life-threatening or anything like that. It's just obviously extremely uncomfortable. So um, I got told, oh, yep, yep, we'll, we'll get the anaesthetist onto it. 36 hours after Ollie's birth, I was still waiting. And no one had told me anything. I'm like, when is this anaesthetist coming? Mm. Oh, he's aware of it. I I was, again, I wasn't told what was going on. And that was the main issue we had with the hospital there is we weren't told. Mm. No one talked to us. So eventually I got taken through. um, And luckily enough, my husband was at the hospital. So he took care of Ollie and I'd um, prenatally expressed some colostrum. So he was able to feed him while I was in theatre for, I was probably only in there for an hour or so, but you know what newborns are like. So I went into theatre and they did the procedure and everything and fair enough, the relief was almost instant, which was great. Um, Yeah, it was just such a relief to finally be able to open my eyes and not be in immense pain. So, yeah, and I'm lucky it wasn't anything more serious, as you said, like preeclampsia or a help syndrome. Like at Mm -hmm. least it was just a giant air bubble in my back. Horrible. I know. I was going to say, I never thought I'd say that sentence. Um, but yeah, I got back to my room and yep, yeah, no worries. And I, I made it clear to the nurses, I'm like, I'm going home. Like, I do not want to be here. This is a horrible place. All you midwives are ho- like, most of you midwives are horrible. Like, I, I just want to go home. I want to go home to my, my other son and my husband and just rest. Um, and so, yep, no worries. They started to take our last minute like observations because I have to take your temperature and blood pressure before you leave. And Ollie was fine. Ollie was discharged, all good. But my temperature had spiked. And this is, yeah, so this is a day and a half after he was born. And my temperature was just over the limit. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was just over. Um, so it was a very low-grade fever. And they um, they said to me, oh, we, we can't send you home with this. And I said, well, why not? And they said, oh, it's a sign of an infection. Like, you know, you could have retained some placenta. Like there could be something else going on. Um, And considering, you know, you only gave birth a day and a half ago, like we have to take it seriously. So I said, okay, no worries, fine. I guess I'm stuck here another night. 
pain in the ass, but whatever. Um, and I said, look, is it possible that my milk coming in has spiked my temperature? And they said, oh, yeah, yeah, that's very possible. But we wouldn't expect it to happen this early. And I said, well, that's interesting because my milk has come in, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. even a day and a half after birth. But I'm like, I'm telling you, my milk's here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this ain't colostrum no more. This is mm-hmm. from milk mm-hmm. or oh, transitional milk. And um, they just refused to believe me. They were like, no, 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 no. <laughs> and I was like, but it's my boobs. I'm, I'm telling you that's what's mm-hmm. happening. And they just like weren't listening. And anyway, again, I was like, whatever, I'll stay here another night, begrudgingly. Mm-hmm. So... We stayed and we, uh, like, all through the night because Ollie wouldn't sleep in his bassinet. Again, he wanted to be near me. So we, as safely as we could, bed shared on the hospital bed. Um, I didn't get very much rest because it's very hard to bed share safely on a hospital bed, but we did it and it was fine. But every time the midwife came in, I got a lecture. You can't sleep with him there. And I said, well, what do you expect me to do? Put him in the bassinet. I said, okay, if he does that, he's going to scream the maternity ward down and wake up all the other babies and all the other moms. Is that what you want? She's like, well, you need to rest too. I said, this is how I'm getting rest. Mm-hmm. Like, well, I don't understand what other solution you're providing me here. Mm-hmm. And she was like, oh, well, I guess I'll come back at 4 a.m. then. And like mm-hmm. trudged out of there. And that was just the treatment we got. You know, it was just so horrendous. No, you know, oh, I'll go and take, I'll hold baby for an hour so you can mm-hmm. get some quality rest. Like, none of that. I just got yelled at and belittled and humiliated. And I'm lucky I'm not a first-time mom because this totally would have put me off having another baby. And our plan was always for two anyway, so we're not having another. But, mm-hmm. you know, just the treatment we got was absolutely horrendous. Um, but, yeah, anyway, it got to the next day, the next morning, um, and my temperature was still high and I, I'd been talking to my husband all night uh, via text and I was like, I'm not staying here. I can't do it. I'm so tired. I just need to sleep properly without nurses yelling at me. Mm. <laughs> so I told um, the good midwife was on that morning and I said to her, I was like, I'm going home. Mm. And she's like, looked at me. She closed the door. She's like, as per hospital policy, I have to ask you to stay. But from a personal level, I'm so glad you're going home. <laughs> I was like, oh, you're the best. Thank you. <laughs> and at the end of the day, it's not a prison. They can't keep you there involuntarily. So they can only recommend. So I was like, no, I'm going home. Like They'd already checked and I hadn't re- retained any placenta. Like They came in and did an ultrasound. There was nothing there. So I was in the clear. It was just my milk coming in. If oh. they'd believed me, I could have gone home, you know. Yeah. And, yeah, I was, like, husband came and picked me up at, like 10 a.m. I finally got to give Harry a hug. Like it was just so nice being reunited. Mm. Um, and yeah, I was actually able to go home and rest properly. And, you know, I literally, I think we got home, yeah, about 10 a.m. And hubby took Ollie and said, go to bed. And I did. And I napped for like four hours. And I was like, oh, this is bliss. <laughs> yeah. In my own bed, quiet, no one annoying me and yelling at me for bed sharing. <laughs> um, how was it um, reuniting with Harry and Harry meeting Ollie? Um, he was good. He was really good. He took to him from day one. Um, I know I hear a lot of horror stories about toddlers like hating their siblings and holding resentment and trying to hurt them and that kind of thing. But Harry's never been like that. He's always been absolutely in love with Ollie, trying to share his things. Like he tries to pat him like he pats the dog, which is not (laughs) ideal, but at least we know he loves the dog. So (laughs) (laughs) he's he's trying to show his affection towards Ollie as well. And, you know, it was, it was really great. Um, So yeah, we spent some time in the backyard when we got home, like, you know, let Harry kind of come and meet Ollie on his own terms and 
it was it was really sweet. Yeah. So um, how was being at home this time with the second baby? <laughs> it was actually really fine. Um, my husband was able to take two months off work this time, so that made things so much better. I don't think I would have coped if he'd gone back to work at the three-week mark again this time. Um, it was we just spent so much family time together, and I know that they say that the postpartum period is supposed to be a time of lying in and, you know, rugging up and being all cocooned but for me that just didn't feel right and I'm a big believer in doing what you feel is right for you and for your family and for me that meant we'd go out to the park in the morning and you know we're lucky in Kalgoorlie parks are you know two minutes away from us so we weren't going very far I wasn't walking very far I was generally just resting and feeding Ollie at the park but I just wanted to be out I wanted to be in the sunshine I wanted to be doing things not strenuous things but I just wanted to be socializing with people that weren't my husband and my toddler like you know so um I felt a lot more confident in what I could and couldn't do this time Mm -hmm. um I also recovered physically a lot quicker this time um I guess because I didn't have that tear Mm -hmm. um and also maybe just because I had the toddler and couldn't really (laughs) didn't really have the option of sitting on my butt as much this time um but it um Yeah, I think it's funny because I didn't enjoy this birth at all, but I enjoyed this postpartum period a lot more. Yeah. So what happened with the hospital? Did you have I (laughs) made a massive complaint. I wrote because there's also other things that um, at one stage the midwife did a um, VE on me without my consent and, you know, that's technically an assault. So, you know, it it actually turned quite serious. Um, So So I wrote up a big complaint. Vaginal examination? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, she did that on me without my consent. I was screaming at her to stop and she didn't. So Mm -hmm. that's, you know, quite clearly a a violation of boundaries, especially during birth when, you know, that's the most vulnerable time of a woman's life and you've just assaulted her, you know, and it was just, yeah, it was really horrible and really traumatic. Surprised that I was able to get those birthing hormones going and birth him in such a relatively peaceful way um, without any medication because that epidural didn't work. So um, I'm still actually pretty proud of myself for doing it considering the circumstances. Um, but, yeah, anyway, when Ollie was maybe about six weeks old because I was I was experiencing a fair amount of birth trauma, um, probably a little bit of prestige, Um and I wasn't quite on the level of PND, uh, postnatal depression. I definitely had postnatal anxiety. Um, and I started seeing a psychologist at about six weeks postpartum with Ollie. Um, but yeah, anyway, in terms of the hospital, <laughs> I keep getting mm-hmm. off track. Um, I wrote them a big letter. It was probably about three pages long. And, you know, I wanted to take it higher immediately. I wanted to take it to the health minister. But I was like, no, I'll give the hospital a chance to deal with it. I had zero hope that they would because... Like most government departments, things just get swept under the rug, excuses made, like, nah, nah, you know, it's your own fault somehow, like, you know, gaslighting. Um, but they actually took it very seriously. Within a couple of days of me submitting the um, complaint to them, I'd had an email from the director of the hospital here, so, like, the big boss, um, as well as the uh, head of midwifery and maternity services here. They wanted to see me in person for a meeting. So I was like, oh, you know what? Okay, fine. I'll, I'll play the game. So husband and I went in with Ollie um, and this is probably about two months postpartum and 
the first thing they said was, we are so sorry this has happened to you. This never should have happened, which it completely had me off guard because I was in there ready to fight. I was ready to yell. I was ready to like, I was instantly like on the defensive, mm. but straight away they admitted fault and were like, no, none of this should have happened. This is completely unacceptable. Let's work together to figure out how we can change this culture at the hospital because clearly it's not working. And I was so taken aback. I was like, oh, you guys actually want to change and you accept that there's a problem. This is amazing. You know, so I had um, probably about three three meetings in person with them as well as um, ongoing email updates. And it only just finished a couple of months ago, their investigation. They obviously weren't allowed to tell me um, much in terms of uh, what they'd done with that particular midwife that was the main problem, um, the one who assaulted me. But from what I understand is she's no longer practising as a midwife, no longer lives in the state and likely never will again. So you know what? <laughs> if I can save some mums in the local area from experiencing her treatment, that's that's a win mm. for me. But they've also implemented a whole host of other initiatives at the hospital there to change that culture, um, to put patients first, to make communicating with patients a priority, um, as well as, you know, they had some equipment issues uh, there as well. So they've rectified that. They've resourced themselves better. They've even added a whole new position for a new anaesthetist on the maternity ward, which is amazing. And, you know, I, I'm really proud of the changes that they've made and that, you know, have been instigated from the complaint that I made. So I think it's just a reminder that if you have had a shitty birth experience or a shitty experience in the health system at all, it is 100% worth putting it in writing and taking it to the relevant people because that's that's how change happens. And, you know, it's hard for people to know where to improve and what's going wrong if you don't tell them. So we need to give them the opportunity to make things better. And this is how we make change. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. I can't even believe that's so good that everything, all the outcomes sound so good for anyone else that has to birth there in the future (laughs) and it's really funny like Kalgoorlie being such a small town like all the mums talk to each other and before having Ollie all the stories I'd heard about the maternity ward was so negative like no the midwives were horrible like you know all these complications like you know and the general consensus was that it was crap and then since all these changes I've heard nothing but positive good stories like all these women say no it was amazing they were so caring they you know so accommodating and just hearing the change in tone of how the maternity services here in Cal are talked about now I just it makes me so proud that you know me speaking up and going no this is unacceptable has made all these, well, not necessarily made, but it's contributed towards these good experiences for women, which is the, it's the least of what we deserve. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well done. That's so epic. <laughs> um, Thank you. So what, um, you said you had a little bit of postnatal anxiety. Was yeah. that related to your hospital experience or was it just? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it came across as health anxiety. So basically anything that Ollie showed that was even slightly off. So like if he started breathing a bit weird or had a snotty nose, like I instantly, my mind spiraled to, oh shit, I'm going to have to take him back to hospital again. I don't want to take him back to hospital because I hate it there. Oh, we're going to have to take him to Perth. I don't want to go to Perth. Oh, what if we have to, you know, get on an RFDS flight? Oh shit. What if we're stuck at PCH for three weeks? Like, And my mind would just spiral and spiral and spiral every single time. And it also displayed um, in that I was very uncomfortable whenever anyone was holding Ollie. Even if my husband was holding Ollie, I just wanted to take him back. Like it, um, and I get really emotional speaking about it now because I I feel really guilty about that, especially with my husband, because 
I didn't let him hold Ollie very much in those early weeks and I probably did prevent him from bonding as much with Ollie as he did with Harry in those early days because I was just so anxious, you know, as far in my eyes, Ollie wasn't safe unless he was with me, you know, and even though that's completely irrational, but that's just what my birth trauma made me believe, you know, it made me believe that, you know, everyone else was a danger to him and um, I had to keep him safe at all costs. So um, sorry, I'm getting really upset, but um, it was, it was a really hard time and I kind of just got to the point where I was like, no, I, ne- I need to speak to someone about this, you know, this this isn't right. And I was still employed by the police at the time. I was employed by the police up until a couple of months ago. Um, so I was really lucky I had access to their um, psychology services. So I linked in with one of the psychs and we did um, Zoom calls for a few months there and she was so lovely and so understanding and we went through things and came up with different strategies and um coping mechanisms and, um, you know, did a bit of desensitization in terms of going to the hospital, um, which, you know, if you have young kids, hospital trips are in your future. That's just the way it is, you know, especially I've got two very adventurous boys, like we go and be going to the hospital a lot. <laughs> so, um, and I have had to go to the hospital quite a few times, you know, they pick up viruses and um, the way things are out here, they still generally won't see kids at the GP if they have any fever or snotty nose or anything like that. And when does a kid not have one of those things? So I don't want my kid seen via telehealth because especially my Ollie, like he can't tell you how he's feeling. He's one year old. Like you need to actually physically see him. So I say fairly often, but when he does get properly sick, we have to take him to ED. Um, And luckily they've been really understanding and they've been great here at the ED. Um, But uh, yeah, so we did some like desensitization towards the hospital um, so I could actually cope with going there when I needed to because even just driving past the hospital, I would tense up, I would start hyperventilating, I would get in that really flight or fight mode, um, which again, looking at what had happened was completely understandable, but it was just not something I could cope with, especially living in Kalgoorlie. I drive past the hospital all the time. <laughs> so um, it was something I really needed to work on and I – actually flew to Perth um, with my whole family. My husband had an appointment in Perth as well, so it worked out really well. We went for maybe like 24 hours. <laughs> um, and I did a um, a session of EMDR therapy with my um, psychologist. I can't remember exactly what it stands for, um, but it's essentially eye movement to recode the brain in terms of trauma. And I still can't believe how powerful it was. That one session, which was less than an hour, um, made things so much better. I was able to talk about my birth experience without bursting into tears. I was able to, uh, you know, think about going to the hospital without freaking out. It just, I'm still in awe of how quickly it reprogrammed my brain. Like the mind is such a powerful thing. And even my psychologist was like, wow, that's so impressive. Like, you know, it's still a very emerging therapy. Um, So it's not like they're still beginning to understand how it works and it's beginning to be more widely practiced. Um, So my psychologist hadn't used it that often. Um, But yeah, she was, she was really impressed with how quickly things resolved and, um, yeah, I've graduated from therapy now, which I'm really grateful for. But yeah, it um 
it was definitely a game changer um, and apparently it's very, very effective in cases of trauma and PTSD. So it's definitely something worth looking at and seeking out a psychologist that practices that um, if you are experiencing any of those symptoms. Mm. I think it's just so interesting to even have this conversation, how everything stemmed from your birthing, like trauma, what happened in that situation, and then to now experience this and to be getting the help for it. I think there'd be so many mothers out there who wouldn't be getting help and maybe don't even put the two and two together but it's like absolutely yeah 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 there's such a correlation there you know your baby was born at a time and like that was traumatic for you and of course like your mind is going to link that to your baby um but yeah, I'm, I'm very grateful that I already had a very good awareness of my own mental health and how my mind works. So I was able to kind of link it up fairly quickly and be like, oh, this isn't right. Um, but you're right. Like some women go, you know, months, years um, dealing with these sort of symptoms and PND and PNA and, and not linking up that, oh, you know what, this, this might have been exacerbated or even caused by my traumatic birth. Mm, yeah. Yeah, well, thank you for sharing all of that. It's, yeah, really, I think it's really important for other people to hear and to hear how you've made such an epic change as well for the hospital. Yeah, I think that's, um, you know, and I like to say that outside of obviously having Ollie, I think that's the best thing that's come out of this crappy birth experience is that at least it's affected some kind of change. Yeah. So I guess before we wrap up this chat, um, if you could give yourself one piece of advice pre-babies, what would it be? Um, I think when it comes to getting advice on parenting and babies and, you know, absorbing information from the media, I think it's so important to just take what resonates and leave the rest. You don't need to listen to everything. Really link up with people that you vibe with in terms of your philosophies and, you know, if your mother-in-law or some other fam- random family member is telling you, well, that's not what we did in my day, it's okay to tell them, well, that's not the way I'm doing it. <laughs> Just <laughs> yeah. um, really link up with people who line up with your beliefs and your values. Mm-hmm. And it's completely okay to unfollow on social media if someone says something that doesn't align with you. But Just block it from your space. You don't need it. Just really focus on what resonates with you and your family. Yeah. Oh, well, thanks for joining me today, Amy. It's been so great having you on. And yeah, I can't Thank wait you. to get this episode out and to yeah, have it the second one where we chat all about your line of work. Yes, I can't wait. Thank you.